Welcome to Definitely Maybe Agile, the podcast where Peter Madison and David Sherrock discuss the complexities of adopting new ways of working at scale. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Definitely Maybe Agile with your hosts, Peter Madison and David Sherrock. How are you today, Dave? Excellent. How are you doing, Peter? I'm a little tired, but other than that, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, it's been a very busy week. Well, it's that run up to Christmas, isn't it? There's a lot of a lot of like interesting things going on. If you think about, we work in, in in sort of systems thinking, and we worry about getting flow in an organization, and yet our busiest time of year, of course, is the last quarter of the financial year, because many of the organizations have hard deadlines around budgets and project deadlines and things like this, which is somewhat counterintuitive to what we're trying to work with organizations on. It is actually. And I mean, that's a, an interesting topic in of itself. This, this, we, we find ourselves driven by these, uh, these timelines that are not necessarily within our control, which drive certain behaviors within the organization. Uh, and that trickles down uh, to us who are trying to help those organizations by having them jam a whole bunch of work into the last quarter of the year. <laughs> so, which works, which works very, very well. well. Keep on doing it. We love it. I mean, it's so much fun. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's a difficult one because it's, I think one of the things that we wanted to talk about today is the difference between taking simple approaches to solving problems in complex systems. And um, as we were kind of teeing up this conversation, we, I think both of us see so many conversations where, uh, where people for very good reasons are focused on optimizing a, a process or getting the most efficient process they can. And they're looking at a tiny part of a very complex system with a, almost like a one-dimensional view is the way I think of it. That sort of theory of constraints, there must be a constraint in here. If we find that, we resolve that, then, uh, you know, hallelujah, we're going to be able to meet our deadlines or timelines or you know the organization will work more efficiently as a result yeah and it's and it's true i mean if you if you can in a system find where that bottleneck is and optimize there and only there then that's great it's just that within most knowledge systems uh, which are very highly complex a lot of paralyzed work uh, a lot of moving parts uh, going on simultaneously that constraint is constantly moving, and it may be moving for every item of work that goes through the system. It may be, uh, and, and as a as a consequence of that, saying, "Okay, I found it. I'm going to put all of my effort into optimizing there." By the time you actually do anything, you find that well, actually, it's decided to go a different route, and it's what you're doing is not actually having the effect you expected expected it to do. In fact, you were telling a story just before this, which was quite a good example of that. And the, the yes, yeah, so to to fill our listeners in, the, the um, office where I'm working here in Vancouver, there's a road bridge that's been being rebuilt over the last couple of years, and. One of the interesting things is the road bridge goes over. It's a small bridge, and it's a small stream that it goes. Um, the bridge goes over, but over the last sort of uh, three months, as Vancouver has been inundated, as people will know all across Canada, Vancouver gets a lot of rain, and we got all of it basically in the last six weeks. And what you can see, we send it that way. Yeah, <laughs> thank you very much. Much appreciated. <laughs> and what you can see is the the. Um, underneath the, the bridge, there's a walking path that's been built. There's a number of, you know, the edges of the stream have been carved out. And even in the last six weeks, you can already see builders have had to come back, repurpose the pathway, repurpose some of the 
um, the, the barriers that they had put in place because the volume of water and the positioning of the water in the stream has shifted and is going in places that people were not expecting it to go to. So, for example, right now, the under underpath, the, the cycle lane and walking lane is currently mostly underwater most of the time at this point. And th these are, this is part of the problem with complex systems is things don't align nicely with the, you know, the, the rule, the ruled line and the, the kind of mapped out expectations that we have when we look at something and we go, okay, this is clearly a bottleneck. Let's make this, this, and this change and everything will resolve itself. Yeah. And, and we, we see this, I, I agree. I see this time and again, it's this, this, this belief that I'm going to be able to find that one silver bullet that's going to fix all of my problems and everything's going to be absolutely perfect after that. Uh, but it makes uh, quite a number of assumptions about the nature of the system that you are dealing with and uh, it doesn't take into account that complexity. And the, the consequence of that is that uh, you, you then really don't end up having the impact you're expecting to have, or it has potentially even a detrimental impact to the overall system, and you end up with even bigger problems uh, as a consequence of what you were trying to do. And so it, we find that, it, I mean, it's much better to start to change the way you think about the system, change the way you, you look at it, start to build resiliency into the system, start to understand, like, how how do I want the system to respond and start to build in some uh, different behaviors as well? Well, I'd pick up where when you're talking about the start, one of the challenges that we often have is that our, our goal when we're looking at a reorg, when we're looking at, say, a product delivery process and we're trying to improve it, is we start with a mindset that we're looking to optimize and make something efficient. And the goal of making something, optimizing something and making it efficient, even though we talk about a learning process, continuous improvement and all the rest of it, what we really mean is, can we kind of fix this, make it efficient, and then forget about it and start benefiting from those efficiencies? And so that often comes through with just the way the problem solving is addressed. You know, we bring a new role in or we define certain procedures and then we kind of, it's done and dusted and we move off. And you see that with other roles suddenly disappearing in an organization because we go, well, hold on, we don't need those roles anymore because we've solved the problem. In a complex adaptive system, you've solved a problem today that may resurrect itself very quickly in the future. The example of the shifting stream bed that I just used, uh, uh, just described um, from the bridge outside, and the mindset is has to be less about one of, of seeking efficiencies and sort of nailing that to the wall, and more about effective and resilient properties in a system, which is a very different resilient effective systems have redundancy in them. They have additional roles because you never know when those roles are going to come in. And this is a, almost exactly the opposite of an optimizing efficiency mindset. Yes. And, and, and we, we look for, there's certain things that we know and some, and some lean principles can help with some of these pieces, but having uh, understanding those where we have those buffers, the inventories, the uh, where we're we're keeping enough capacity in the system to be able to absorb uh, these changes, to absorb the new things that are coming in. Um, a lot of uh, there's been a lot of press around uh, just in time, of course, recently, which is uh, 
they've been causing a lot of um, commentary and there's a lot of misunderstanding around that concept and how that uh, actually helps systems be resilient. It's about the resiliency of the system. It's about. It's not about we only need just enough in the system. It's about understanding the system well enough that we can ensure that we have the right amount of things to ensure that the system will be able to operate with the amount of capacity it needs, which is a very different from the way that it's often interpreted and has been interpreted in the yeah, absolutely. It's it, it's that it's that push to have no buffers, which is that efficiency optimization mindset. Whereas what we really want to do is understand where we need buffers yes. to allow resilience in what's happening, and that's a that just that one thing about zero buffer versus what's a buffer that facilitates resilience in the process that we're working with and what's a buffer that is wasteful and is actually hiding uh, possible defects or, or, or you know, dysfunctions yeah, in the process. Exactly. And I mean, if you look at, I mean, classic example is um, a company like, uh, like Toyota kind of famously brought a lot of this stuff to the forefront. Um, but if you look at some of the behaviors that they, they've got there, where they, if they've got a, if it takes tens and tens of thousands of parts to make a car, and they, because they've got so much understanding of which parts of their supply chain are necessary, which components are the most critical to that, they know which 500 out of those tens of thousands of parts they need to keep in stock at all times and which one's the most critical. So they identify that, they make sure they've got those, and they ensure that that's available because that adds to the resiliency of the system. That gives them the, the ability to, uh, uh, they, they know that by having that, that's going to enable them to be able to uh, um, respond. Yeah, and I think um, in many ways it's the you know there's a get fixed quick mentality, and I'm just thinking here of, of uh, um, theory of constraints. I'm a huge fan of theory of constraints in terms of understanding a process and looking for bottlenecks and how to resolve those bottlenecks. But if the only thing we do is view a process as a single one-dimensional delivery system, value stream, whatever it might be. Uh, what we're missing is the complexity that goes behind it so that on the one hand, we need to know about constraints. We need to know about how to work with bottlenecks. But on the other hand, if we think what that means is once we've solved it, the problem has gone away, well, we're not recognizing that it's a continuous monitoring and, and a continuous learning and understanding process to mm -hmm. always be watching for not only the next bottlenecks, but also the areas where Resilience means you don't have one path to solve things. There may be multiple yes. ones. Yeah. What do you see in organizations? What do you, how do you uh, um, maybe help them understand this or help change that mindset as you talk to different organizations? Uh, so, I mean, some of the pieces that um, one of them is around ensuring that you've got enough capacity. I mean, there, there's the theoretical approach, right? We, we talk and we provide the, we provide workshops, we show them like what happens if you have everybody working at 100% and then that means that there's no capacity for, uh, and nothing gets done, everything slows down. So we, we demonstrate that and we show what that looks like. There's a lot of the, the educational side of it from that perspective. Um, we... We also then, from a practical perspective, look at, well, what are we measuring? How are we understanding flow across the system? Are we measuring for the right things? What's the impact of what we're measuring? How well do we understand the system that we work within? And we can use those uh, metrics as a way of uh, saying, okay, if we, if we 
increase capacity, if we reduce the amount of work in process through the system, do we see more stuff occurring? Do we see that we're actually delivering more? Are we getting more throughput? Are we, do our cycle times decrease? Do we understand that we improving our flow efficiency across the system? So uh, by doing and measuring those pieces, we can start to educate the organization and understanding uh, the, the flow of work in the system without um, the desire to get down to the detailed understanding of every individual component and this belief that we can um, have this this kind of concrete um, static uh, vision of what the world looks like. Yeah, I, I, I find that these these changes take time because people have to understand that there's that shift in in mindset that we've just been describing. And so uh, a lot of the conversations end up being um, trying to change how people think of solving problems. That's one of the challenges that that, uh, I've often seen requires Mm -hmm. discussion and conversation and and understanding. And in particular, I'm thinking there's there's still so much um, uh, so much negative perspective around things like redundancy in a system having slack in a system where people maybe aren't utilized 110 percent mm-hmm. in and and so that understand like just that simple thing is driven by how budgets are taken care of who's full-time employees you know where they're reporting to and what their responsibilities are I think in many organizations there needs to be more of a an understanding of the value of slack in a system and the value of people sitting around maybe not fully utilized doing their most valuable thing. And the example I always look at here is you actually do not want fire personnel to be busy all the time. You want them to be sitting around playing cards, thinking about preventative measures, working on less critical roles Mm -hmm. so that they are available when you need them to be doing the emergency services fire stations are there for. That redundancy is important. It's actually a part of the resilience of the system. But too many times we don't see that in an organization. Redundancy is just not something that's built into the system. You don't look for slack. You don't support it. It's not funded. It's not accepted. It's actually a sign of poor management practices in many ways. Yeah, it's it's amazing how often that is the case and uh, in all its forms, um, both with people and with and with people with process and technology, you see it all the time. I mean, it's, uh, I can think of uh, processes where the, the desire to avoid having any slacking system causes uh, investment in a, the wrong places, which results in a more complex system, which is more fragile as a consequence uh, and takes longer to execute too. So the effort of trying to um, avoid spending money ends up costing the organization far, far more than if they had just invested in the sufficient capacity in the first system in the first place. <laughs> and I, I see that kind of thing uh, fairly frequently. Yeah, and I, I wanted to pick up on what you were talking about on the measuring side as well, because one of the things that we're spending more and more time talking to leaders about is uh, expanding and deepening their information gathering let's call it networks, that where they get information from in an organization. And that's a, a response to complex adaptive systems. In, in a complex system, you need to measure more and more different things to understand what's going on, not just to understand what's going on, but also to get precursors of potential problems in what's going on. And 
that's something that that as a leaders, I think in many cases, uh, there is not enough time spent on broadening and deepening those information gathering slash measuring networks, whatever that is that's being used. Yeah, I would agree. So how would we, as we look at this, sum this up? I mean, we've talked quite a, through quite a few different topics. Uh, what would be your, your top three uh, points you'd want the audience to take away from this? Yeah, this, it's been a broad conversation. I think the first one is stop chasing efficiency. Yes. And, and I've, I'm very careful when we're writing things down, documenting things, presenting things, not to talk about efficiency, but to talk about effectiveness. And effectiveness may not be the same. In fact, it rarely is the same as efficiency. So just to try and change that conversation. I think that's one of the key takeaways that I, I think would be uh, hugely beneficial. A second one, and I liked what you talked about, about the capacity piece is, and I'm thinking here about those little things like learning how your systems, how the processes that you work with um, change when you constrain a certain part of the system or you, you know, you, you have enough capacity. So before, you know, removing what you quote unquote think of as redundant or extra solution yeah. architects. See what happens if there's not enough solution architects. Yes, because that? that can also inform you a lot about like how is this system behaving. That's it. Yeah, yeah, and and then uh, and I think the the we jump to the solution in many cases way too quickly, and we probably want to be experimenting and yeah. and and understanding that by changing some of those parameters a little bit more um, yeah. carefully. And then, I mean, on the go ahead. I was going to say on the software side. Well, that's in, in my mind. A classic example from this week was this idea that uh, the where a, an organization business is coming up with some new requirements, and those, they want those new requirements uh, to get built in. But the the systems are monolith, and the the question was, well, can we throw more? Can't we just throw more people at it? And well, no, because there's a single code base. There's only one place that people can put their fingers into. The throwing more people at it won't make it go any faster. You, <laughs> it's, uh, it's yeah. it doesn't work like that. We've uh, so it's going to be about prioritizing work and understanding what are we actually doing. If you've got a galley kitchen, it doesn't matter how many chefs yeah. you've got. You've got you a galley, galley kitchen. kitchen. That's all <laughs> you're going to be able to prepare. Or there's just no more you can do. So. So there, there are other things that we can do, but um, throwing more people at it isn't going to help. Yeah. Anyway, you you can say. No, all I was going to add is is the third one that you mentioned, which is measuring stuff, measuring what's going on, and and I think you know this is almost a theme in every, so many of our conversations. Data is so critical. Understanding what's going on and measuring things, and I talked about it in the perspective of broadening and deepening information networks, but. But it's the same as, you know, looking at what we can measure, what we can learn from it and recognizing one number isn't going to measure my system. It's going to have many, many different metrics and, and yep. signals that we should be keeping. Definitely. I think the only one that I would add to that as we wrap up here is uh, not thinking of the, the system as a factory when, it, when you're dealing with knowledge work. Unless you are actually working in a factory, then don't treat it like a factory. It's, uh, if we are working in a factory, treat it like a factory. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, uh, it's not a great analogy for, for how work moves through complex systems. And so um, I will leave us with that, I think. So so thank you very much again, uh, Dave. It's uh, always a pleasure having these conversations. Uh, if anybody would like to reach out to us, they can do it. Feedback at definitelymaybeagile.com. And uh, uh, pleasure as always. Thank you. Excellent. Peter, again, thanks again. Until next time. Until next time. 
You've been listening to Definitely Maybe Agile, the podcast where your hosts, Peter Madison and David Sherrick, focus on the art and science of digital, agile, and DevOps at scale. 